0: Philippians chapter 3. Tomorrow is New Year's Day. Over the past several years, I've preached a New Year's message. Ironically, I was not intending to do so this year. I am, in fact, doing so this year. Um, but I preached a New Year's message, and typically that New Year's message, uh, it, it revolves around goals, a vision for that which is next. And uh, whether it's spiritual or secular, of course, this is the time of year for such things. I was talking to a young man the other day, and he works at the gym here in town, and we, I was hoping to be able to get together with him and to chat with him a little bit more. He's been growing greatly in the Lord. Uh, Of late it would appear and I wanted to dig down into that a little bit more. Learn about what the Lord's doing in his life. And he said that's all well and good but you're going to need to wait a couple of weeks most likely because January is the busiest time of the year for the gym. Why is January the busiest time of the year for the gym? Well because everybody is setting these resolutions right? And their resolution is always I'm going to get into the gym. I'm going to start exercising and so they get their gym membership and they go for a week or two and then that's it. They're done for the year and so there's there's those couple of busy weeks at the beginning of the year, and then things settle down at the gym for everybody involved. And, and that typically is the way things work. But that's okay. Um, at least we're trying, right? At least there's a desire. At least there is a pressing toward the mark. Now, uh, we would expect that as a person continues to grow and continues to try, at some point they ought to meet their goals. They they have goals. They envision goals, and they 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 do things to meet those goals and sometimes the things that we do to try to meet those goals work and other times the things that we do to meet those goals don't work. So we'll try one avenue and we'll say well you know what this just this didn't quite go as I envisioned it in my mind and so that avenue that attempt at growth or that attempt at betterment failed. Now we can either say, okay, my attempt at betterment failed, so I'm just going to stop trying, or we can say there must be some other way then to pursue my attempt at betterment. And so those that are perhaps a little bit more mature or a little bit more stable or have done this for a little while typically find some means by which to find a balance in their lives. They find some means by which, and maybe they're not as far as they could have been or would have been otherwise, but they found a way to achieve their goals in a manner that works for their lifestyle, for their intentions, and for their desires. And all of these things come into play here at this time of year as we're thinking about the new year, as we're thinking about starting fresh. And while uh, I'm not not a very sentimental guy so I kind of roll my eyes at all the New Year stuff because I just there's not a lot of sentimentality in me there's not a lot of that uh, sort of thing in me holidays don't get me excited any of that it's just not not a lot to it to me there's value in it there's true legitimate value in these times of year where there's memorials when there's times to start afresh when there's things to ways to start anew And I'd like to talk with us this this morning about these concepts, the new year, these desires on a spiritual plane. Perhaps every year you have some spiritual desires. I preached a message a couple of years ago exhorting you into spiritual goals. I don't know if anyone did that, I, I, I did that with my family. We had goals that we set down for our children, for ourselves, for the year spiritually, things we wanted to see accomplished, things we wanted our children to understand about God by the end of the year, things that I wanted to grow in in my faith by the end of the year. Some of those goals we met, other of those goals we, we didn't meet. Some of those goals I personally met, others I did not meet. Perhaps some of you have done the, the, year, the reading the Bible in a year schedule before. We put them on the back table at this time every year. They're back there again. If anyone would like to pick one up, start tomorrow. Um, and that schedule gives you a template for how, if you read everything that that schedule says on any given day, you will get through the Bible in a year. Or some people do it perhaps in two years, and they read half of it every day, and then they read, read one listing over two days, and over the course of two years, they've read through the entire Bible. And maybe you've gotten through a week or a month or a couple of months and then you've hit a snag. You've hit a busy time of year. You miss a day and then you read a couple of days to catch up and then maybe you miss a few days and then you're really reading a lot to catch up after that. And then you miss three weeks and you look and you just say, there's no way. Uh, it's not, I'm not recovering from this. And things just kind of fall away. My exhortation to you this morning is this set spiritual goals, have a desire to grow, not expecting necessarily that you're always going to meet every single goal, but continuing to press, continuing to move, continuing to try, continuing to to roll the ball forward. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians is a book about unity. Paul is speaking a great deal to the church about unity uh, and joy. Uh, many people will say the theme of Philippians is joy. I'm fine with that. I feel like it, it it definitely has more of a unity element than a joy element, although the joy is there. But Peter or excuse me, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. And as he does so, particularly in chapter 2, he exhorts them to have the mind of Christ. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what he exhorts them unto is humility. He calls them to be a humble people. They, uh, it says in Philippians chapter two, verse five, who being in, uh, uh, let this mind be in you, excuse me, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So the call is for us to be like Christ. And what was Christ? Christ was a man of humility. He was a man who humbled himself before the will of the Lord. The mind of Christ is a mind of humble submission. And the promise, as we see all throughout Scripture, it's particularly uh, evident in the book of James, is that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, right? God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So those who will humble themselves, God will exalt them. Those who will seek to exalt themselves, God will abase them. God will ignore them. They, 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 can, they will receive nothing of the Lord. And so this is what we see of Jesus And his example in verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So we have this this declaration, this this exhortation that we would have the mind of Christ. Paul would then go on to say in verses 12 through 15, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's the battle in the mind. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that's the battle of the mouth, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So the idea here is that we labor in our minds to work out our own salvation, to constantly be progressing, to not have murmurings and disputings among one another, but to be focused together, unified together, toward the direction of growing in Christ in order that we might be without rebuke in the midst of a crooked, crooked and perverse nation. Not necessarily, well, I mean, our nation is that way as well, but the idea is that among the unbelievers that are... In our midst that we would see on any given basis or any given day that we would interact with that when we are around unbelievers that when we are around those that don't believe what we believe our testimony might win them to Christ that we would shine as lights in the world so this is Paul's exhortation in Philippians chapter 2 I asked you to turn to Philippians chapter 3 in Philippians chapter three, uh, Paul hits his, his his final point, which spans several chapters, two chapters. He says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, to write the same thing to you. To me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. He's calling them to, as they seek to rejoice in the Lord, as they assume the mind of Christ, he's calling them to watch out for false teaching. To watch out for those who would seek to destroy them. The concept of dogs are those who are unworthy. Those who are, um, those who are, are profane. Those who are evil. And then he says evil workers. He says the concision. Concision are, are, are those who would mutilate themselves. Is literally what that word concision means. And it speaks of those who uh, were of the circumcision. Jews... Who and some who would proclaim Christ even, who would say, nope, in order to be saved, in order to be right with God, you have to be circumcised. Paul uses almost a derogatory term for them here, the concision, in order to say, hey, look, these are not followers of Christ just because they're circumcised, just because they've, they've cut themselves up. That does not make them followers of Christ. And notice the parallel there. He says in verse 3, for we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We are the circumcision. We are those that are set apart to God not because we have mutilated our flesh but because we have submitted our spirit. We are the circumcision because we have no confidence in the flesh because our confidence is in Christ alone. And he then uses this statement, this exhortation as a transition to talk about what it means to be a follower of Christ. What it means. Okay, so you have the mind of Christ. So you are eagerly desiring to humble yourself before others, to humble yourself before the Lord. You are desiring to to let God's way be your way. You are seeking to humble yourself that the Lord may exalt you in due time. And Paul is going to, to mention here, he's mentioned these proud people, these dogs, these evil workers, the concision. He mentions these men and these women who uh, think that they are something more for God because of the physical uh, way in which the, the attributes that they have who, or, or because of their, their legalistic tendencies. And Paul says in verse 4, though I might have confidence in the flesh... If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might might trust in the flesh, I more. He says if you want to look at someone who, if he could at all trust in anything that he's done to get himself right with God, if he can trust in anything he's done to get himself to heaven, Paul Paul says, I'm the man. I've done more than anybody. And then he gives his his, uh, resume here. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. So he says, I was circumcised on the day I was supposed to be, the eighth day. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, of the stock of Israel. I can trace my lineage, he says. I I can trace it back to my tribe. I know where I'm from. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, but he would go on. As touching the law, he says in verse 5, a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. He was one who knew the law well. The scriptures tell us he sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the great teachers of the day. Paul was not just your amateur. He was not just a a guy who couldn't hack it in Israel, so he created his own religion uh, that, that didn't demand the things that Judaism demanded. He had all of his ducks in a row in Judaism. He could have been the top dog he says, if, if, if anybody could glory over anything physical, over any amount of righteous actions, morality, it's me. Concerning zeal, verse 6, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He kept the law. He kept it as best as anyone could keep it. In other words, as he was looking back, he couldn't think of, there's 613 laws in the, in the Jewish Torah that have been identified. He couldn't look back and, and look at any of those and say physically, yep, I, I didn't do any of those faithfully. He was a man who was blameless before the Jews' concept of the law. He was a man who was zealous for the Jewish religion having persecuted the church. His resume was long and his resume was strong for Judaism. What changed? Why would he, having all of his ducks in a row, having everything that he wanted or needed to be strong and powerful and influential in Judaism, why would he give that up? Verse 7, he says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Those I counted loss for Christ. He said all of those things, those things were physical. Those things were status issues. Those things were things whereof I could look at someone else, compare myself to them, and say, I'm better than them, so God must accept me more than God would accept them. But, but then something happened. He, he heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ says that we are all on a level playing field, and that level playing field is, for all have sinned for all have sinned. That it doesn't matter how moral you've been. It doesn't matter how moral I've been. I can't compare myself to you and you to me and say, well, I'm better than you because I'm more moral than you because I'm a sinner just as you. The great blessing of the gospel, the gospel starts with bad news, right? The gospel means good news, but the gospel starts with bad news. And that bad news is for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. That because you've sinned and I've sinned, we have been separated from God in fellowship. That God is holy, that I am not holy, and so I'm separated in my relationship with God. And that is bad news. But that, a part of that is good news. And the good news part of that is that we have all sinned. And because we have all sinned, that means there's nobody in existence to mess up the curve if there was one righteous man apart from Christ then God could not be just in offering salvation to the unrighteous because that one righteous man would get into heaven and and he would get in by his own merit and that means you can get in by his own merit And that means everybody else would be out of luck. But because there is none righteous, no, not one, God could send his son Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind so that all men would have the opportunity to be saved. And this is that great level playing field. And this is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus preached. And so Paul, he says, I have all the reasons in the world to hang my hat on my own morality, to hang my hat on my own abilities. That if God is a Jewish God and that God wants the Jewish law to be, to, to be, to be kept to the T and that that is sufficient to, for, for me to get to heaven, then I'd have the best pedigree out there for it. But when he heard the gospel, he says in Romans that when he heard the gospel, when he heard the true realities of the law, he died. The law revived and he died. He realized just how far short he had fallen of the law. He realized just how far short he had fallen of the righteousness of God. And if he found himself having fallen short of the righteousness of God, then certainly everybody else is in trouble. So he says he had a choice. Does he elevate himself in his own mind and say, nope, I'm just going to, I'm going to reject this Christ person and his gospel, and I'm going to assume that I can get there on my own, that, that my morality, that my effort, that these things are going to get me to heaven. Or does he choose Christ's way? And he can't have it both ways. Nobody can. Jesus would say while he walked the earth, you cannot serve God and mammon. Indeed, you can't serve the world and serve God. They're mutually exclusive. So Paul had a choice to make. He had a choice which each one of us has to make as well. And he said, what things were gained to me, those I counted but lost for Christ. He said, I chose Christ's way. I chose faith in Christ, believing that Jesus Christ is God. And that when Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me, in John 14, 6, that that Jesus was right. So he counted all things but loss for Christ. Now, we say that, and we think about that concept, but imagine what that means. Now, for some of us today, for some of us, that means more than others, For some of us, when when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or in order to to take the steps that you would desire to take to follow the Lord, there hasn't had to be that much sacrifice for you. Maybe you grew up in a Christian family, and you're surrounded by Christian friends, and for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, everyone rejoices over that with you. Everyone rejoices when you say, yep, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to accept the gospel. But for others, it's not that way. For people in the Middle East today, it's not that way. For people in Cambodia today, it's not that way. For people in in parts of China today, it's not that way. For people in the northern parts of the Philippines, it's not that way. (coughs) To accept Jesus Christ as one Savior is to have to count some things but loss. It's to have to be willing. If you're going to testify of your faith in Jesus Christ to your family, to your community, you have to be willing to lose your job. You have to be willing to be disowned from your family. You have to be willing to be cast out of your village. For Paul to profess faith in Jesus Christ, he had to be willing to lose some things. He was a persecutor of the church. You can perhaps imagine who his friends were. And when he became a part of the church, you can perhaps imagine that some of those people who were once his associates are now his enemy. You can imagine what it might have been like for him to go back to his associates of the Pharisees as a follower of Jesus Christ, to go back to his family who had sought to pursue for him a life of Pharisaical purity and, 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 and the Judaistic traditions. But he says, I had to make a choice. And what things were were gained to me, all of these things that in this life would have meant my prosperity and my peace, I counted but lost that I may follow whatever direction Christ asked me to go. This is the mind of Christ. So he continues in verse 8. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He said, I set all of those things aside. I set all of those gains aside that I might but follow Christ. May I link this to our time here today? What Paul just described in verses 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 is kind of like the New Year's resolution of Paul. Paul. He says, my determination is that all things that I have that might be gained to me, I will count but loss for Christ. I will put them all on the altar. I will set them all there that God can have them, that God can do what he will with them. And I will trust the Lord that if he wants them, he can have them. And I will do what God wants. Have you ever been there? I hope you have. Have you ever had a point in your life where you've come to that moment and you've had things and you love the Lord and you want to do what's right, but you came to that moment in your life where you realized I'm holding back. I have not given everything to the Lord. I've not given to Him that area of my life. I've said, God, I'll follow you. I'll go to church. I'll do this, whatever it might be, but this is my area. This is my part of life. This is the part you can't touch. This is the part that I'm going to do what I want no matter what you ask me to do. No matter what. And you're not going to necessarily say that but 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 the fruit of your actions reflect that have you ever come to the point where you've just said lord en- enough is enough it's yours if you want it you can have it it's on the altar what a moment that is what an exciting time that is i hope that you've been there before i hope that you've come to that point where you've said god everything's open to you If we liken your heart to a house you flung the doors open and you said, Jesus, not only can you take up residence in the house, but you can go into any room. There's no locked doors here. You can search in everything. You can clean out whatever you want. I want you to have it all. And if you've never done that, that's the moment that Paul came to in his life where he said, he put everything on the table and he said, God, if you want it, you can have it. And you know what? In Paul's life, God took it, didn't he? In Paul's life, do you, do you remember when Paul meets Jesus, meets the Lord on the road to Damascus and Paul is blind and he ends up going into Damascus and the Lord appears to the man named Ananias and tells him to go and to, to talk to Paul. Do you remember what the Lord said to Ananias that he was going to do for Paul? He said, for I, for I must show him what great things he must suffer for my sake. Paul would end up being stoned several times, beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, shipwrecked for the name of Christ. Now we've talked before many a time about the fact that just because God asks for us to lay everything on the altar doesn't necessarily mean God is always going to take it all, right? There's many a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who, having laid everything on the altar, is finally then able to see God's greatest blessings because God was holding back until such time as he finally released it all. If, you, if you're a parent, then you know how that works. You want to bless your children, but first you want to see them make the right choice. So you're holding back your blessing until they finally choose to submit. And then once they finally choose to submit, then the floodgates can open to the blessings that you have for them. So Paul laid it all on the altar, and he suffered some things. But he said, I count it all but dung. It's all worthless. All of those things that I might have had, all of the fame, all of the glory, all of the opportunity, all of the money. He says, none of that matters to me if that I can have the blessings of the rewards of heaven. If that when I get to heaven, I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead and hear those words, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. If that the blessings in heaven might be heaping up on my account, I'll give anything in this life that I may know him, he says. That I may know, that I may experience the knowledge of God, the mind of Christ. It would be my exhortation, my desire this morning, that each one of us would leave here this morning with that desire in our hearts to know Christ and the desire to lay everything at the altar and leave it there in order that you may grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a great time it would be to do it too. This time of year, as you're thinking about 2018 and what 2018 is going to look look like, what is 2018 going to look like spiritually for you? What might it be like if at the end of 2018 you could be closer to the mind of Christ? You could know Him like you've never known Him before. You could identify with Him like you've never identified with Him before. You could be closer to God than ever before. I, I hope that that's your heart this morning. But I'd like us to continue in the text. Continuing in verse 12, the Bible says this. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, I desire to gain that thing for which Christ Won me. Christ won me with the promise that if I yield today, he'll give me blessings in the life that is to come. And at the, at the end of this life, I'll have eternal life. I'll have everlasting life. He says, That's the promise for which I, uh, uh, I, I attain unto. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And reaching forth unto those which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus I I love this in verses 7 through 11 Paul gives this ideal that he has laid everything on the altar for Christ that if God wants it he can have it if God asks for it it's his that everything's on the altar and then he says to them after this this statement of ideal, and we know Paul, we know the history of of his life, we've seen him, uh, you can read about him in the book of Acts, he he laid a lot down. But then he tells them, as he writes to the church of Philippi, I've not yet apprehended, I've not yet obtained, I've not yet got all of this, but this one thing I do, I haven't come to the fullness of perfection and ability. I have not perfectly laid everything on the altar. I have not uh, become perfect in the mind of Christ. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which were behind and reaching forth to those things which are before, I press toward the mark. If we were all to run a marathon, probably not today, it's a little cold today to run a marathon. But if we were all to uh, run a marathon when, <laughs> when it warms up outside, and everybody in this church were to run a marathon, the same marathon, let's just call it a 5K so that we're not all just getting tired thinking about it. And we're all going to run a 5K. We start at the same starting line, and that gun goes off. You're going to have some people running faster. You're going to have some people running slower. You're going to have some people walking you're going to have some children who have really tiny little legs, right? And so they're going, but every, every step is, is much a shorter stride than, than, than a larger person. You're going to have some young guys that are fit, and they're going to go much faster. But, but the idea at the end of the 5K, most 5Ks that I know of, is everyone crosses the finish line. Everyone crosses the finish line. Some do it faster, some do it slower, but everyone crosses the finish line. Paul says, I have not apprehended. I have not obtained unto all of the mind of Christ. I don't know Christ as well as I would necessarily want to know him, but I keep striving. I keep striving. What's behind me is behind me. I'm going to keep reaching forward to that which is ahead of me. I'm going to press toward the mark. See, there's a mark. There's a mark at the end of this life, and we know what that mark is. The Bible makes it very clear. The end of this life is eternity, right? And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior through the gospel, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you've recognized that you're a sinner, that you cannot get yourself to heaven, that you've been separated from God through your sin, that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. That he was buried. That he rose again in victory over, the sin, over sin. And that it's a gift that's given to anyone who will receive it. And if you receive it, you'll get eternal life. And if you re- reject his terms, if you say, well, I'll work my way to heaven or I'll buy my way to heaven, that, then, then you'll end up in hell. And if you accept his terms and you accept his gift, then the Bible says you'll be saved. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your, sa- as your Savior this morning, you're in the race. You're a part of the race. And your end is eternal life. But how are you going to get there? What, with what disposition will you get there? And that's the question. For some, your Christian life has been a a real battle. You've tried to lay some things down only to pick them back up. And you get discouraged because you've tried and you failed and you've tried and you failed and you've tried to conquer this element of your life or that one and and you, you just haven't been able to do it. Or you've laid some things down and you've not quite received what you expect. Or it seems like nothing is happening at all. And there can be a tendency in the Christian life to stop trying because you're just not quite reaching your goals. That because you've tried and you failed or you've tried and you've not gotten as far as you want, you just stop trying. God can't use me. I tried this, I endeavored in this way and it just didn't work out, so God can't use me. Or I must just not be smart enough. I must just not be talented enough. I must just not be fill in the blank. Paul says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth to that which is ahead, I keep pressing toward the mark. Keep pressing toward the mark. Maybe you've had New Year's resolution Christianity for some time, kind of an all or nothing thinking that if I can't get into the gym five days a week and uh, lose all of this weight and become a a big mass of toned muscle, then I guess I'm just not cut out for this health thing and I'll just sit on the couch eating potato chips. But you know, there is a middle ground, right? Right? There is a middle ground where, yeah, you might want to be able to get into the gym five times a week or go for a walk every day or whatever the case may be. But you've got time a couple of times a week and you can eat a little bit healthier and you can find a place of balance where maybe you're not the picture of health, but you're also not unhealthy and you're in this nice little place and there's room to grow next year and there's room to improve next year but you've made some positive steps for yourself throughout the year. Can we do that in the Christian life as well? Maybe you had some goals or you have some goals or you have some desires in your spiritual life and you ought to have them and they ought to be high and you ought to have things that are that are up there that that are are, are are lofty but maybe over the course of this year you only hit about here but did you grow? Did you grow? Did you progress? See, that's what Paul said. I press toward the mark. I press toward the mark. I'm reaching for that which is before. What about this year? Can I encourage you to set some loftier goals? I I hope you do. I hope that you don't just say, well, I don't know. I'm just gonna hopefully get out of this year without really embarrassing the Lord or screwing up too much. Or are you just so tired fighting the battle where you say it's I just don't want to fight it anymore can can I encourage you set the goals and then press toward the mark take it a day at a time take it a step at a time you fail today get back up and try again tomorrow I talk to people in the jail regularly who are facing major uphill battles if you've interacted with people uh, in, in that setting or maybe some of your family or friends maybe you at one time maybe you right now some of the people that I interact with they're dealing with addictions they've got families of people children that they've abandoned the whole the whole shebang right so uh, if, if, if you think getting yourself right with God is a is a chore when you've got a family who loves the Lord and a church that you can go to, imagine trying to get your life back in order when you've got no job, when you're sitting in jail, when you've got uh, a, 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 several kids to deal with and you've got an addiction problem and all of your acquaintances that you know are addicts and you have nowhere to go except to some addict's house when you get out. That's an uphill battle. And as, we, as I talk through these things with them, it always comes back to this. It comes back to what Jesus instructed us in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then he would go on to say, Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, right? I ask him, How do you eat an elephant? Well, the same way you'd eat a chicken or turkey or a candy bar, one bite at a time. Right? You take one bite, you chew it, you swallow it, you take another bite, unless you're my son. Then you don't do it quite that way. But typically, the idea is you take one bite, you chew it, you swallow it, then you put another bite in your mouth, you chew it, and you swallow it, right? That's how you eat. How do we live the Christian life? How is it that we get from where you are, which may not be where you want to be in your Christian life, to where you do want to be? Start, start, with a, start with today. Take a step today. Have a goal for today. And then if you take that step today, take another step tomorrow. Walk with the Lord today. Walk with the Lord this moment. Walk with the Lord the next moment. Walk with the Lord, pare down to an hour if you need to. Walk with the Lord in this hour. Take Take time. Take, Take two minutes out of every hour. Set an alarm on the hour. Take two minutes to speak to the Lord. Next hour, take another two minutes to speak with the Lord. Walk with the Lord, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. You have a couple of bad days. You take a couple of steps back. Well, now you're back here. The next day, take a step. Forgetting those things which were behind, pressing toward that which is before, reaching for it, press toward the mark. It's that time of year. It's that time of year where, where, we're setting goals. Where we're thinking about what's next. Where we're looking back, in one, and we're looking back at the year behind us. And maybe some of you are saying, "Wow, it was a really great year. We've met some of our goals." Maybe some of you are saying, "I didn't meet one goal that I had on my list for this year." It's a new year. Every day is a new day. And every day, the mercies of the Lord are new. And every day, there's an opportunity. Let us have the mind of Christ. Let us lay everything on the altar as Paul desired to do. Let us have that mind that says, "Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering." I hope that's what is burning in your heart. What are you going to do about it this year? What steps are you going to take? Have you faltered? Have some of those things that you at one time desired to put on the altar been taken back off the altar? Let's put them on again. It's a new day. There's new opportunities. Let's press toward the mark. Let's reach for that which is ahead in this new year.